Hello, Joanna. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. Thank you. It's so nice to see you. I just said that it's been so many, it's been so long since we saw each other, you know, uh, and not in the virtual space, uh, but in the, you know, uh, face Even to face. Even in the real space. space. Yeah, it's too, too long. <laughs> you can touch the people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, for our listeners uh, here at, in, uh, you know, Building the Future the Israeli Way, uh, I'm delighted and honored. Yeah, I am. What can I say? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, to spend some time with all of you and of course with Joanna. And I want to introduce you to Joanna if you haven't heard about her, because I don't know whether you're aware of it, but that the 2017 Joanna was chosen by Forbes Israel as one of the 50 most influential women in Israel. So <laughs> if you haven't heard about her and her uh, inspiring work in Israel, so I want to uh, just introduce a, a brief introduction from all the many achievements she has. So I'll do, I won't, because then we won't do anything. Just I'll have to read everything. Okay. So <laughs> we'll spend the whole, the whole day long speaking about her uh, extraordinary uh, achievements. So Joanna Landau is a British-born Israeli. Uh, and for those who are not Israelis, it means that he chose. She has chosen to live here. She chooses it. It's, 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 and she, She's gonna say about. She's gonna say probably some words about that. And uh, she was, but she's an Israeli lawyer and the CEO of Vibe Israel, which is a nonprofit dedicated to enhancing Israelis' global image. She earned a BAG and MA degree in law. What do you know from Cambridge University? Ah, I wish I was there with you. And an MBA um, come from uh, Reichman University in Israel. And before establishing Vibe Israel, Joanna worked. Uh, as a lawyer in the high-tech industry and established two internet startups based in Tel Aviv. Right now, Joanna is a governor of Tel Aviv University, a member of the International Education Committee of Taglit Birthright, which is bringing so many young Jewish people here to Israel, so important, and uh, the Advisory Committee of Innovation Without Borders, and a director of the Tel Aviv Global uh, and Tourism, and Tel Aviv Municipality Global Marketing Arm. So she lives in Tel Aviv, again by choice, because she could have lived anywhere else with her husband, three children, and we won't forget the two dogs. True, this is true. <laughs> thank you for having oh, me. Jana, thank you so much for taking time from your busy schedule and you know from all the wonderful things that you're doing for I wouldn't say even only for the Israelis. I think it's for the Jewish community in general and, and yeah. you know, for being a part of us. So this before that, before anything else, I just want to thank you for that. Um, it's actually, I'm very, very happy to do it. And I, you know, I do it for myself uh, as much as I'm doing it for anybody else. So it's, it's why I wake up in the morning. So I'm happy to do it, but it's nice to, to receive your thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But that's the best situation that you're doing something that, you know, contributing to yourself, but also to others in the same. So I think that's that's the best situation in life. In, in, in Absolutely. Would it be okay? I know you're British and, you know, usually British are very reserved, but <laughs> I'm joking. But no, 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 I don't really think so. But uh can you please share with us, you know, some personal, you know, the personal history, which is relevant to that or anything else. How come, how come getting up in the morning and doing something from Israel became your passion? How, what, sure. how did you came about? Well, um, as, uh, as you mentioned before, for my bio, I was born in England. I was born in London. My parents came to live in Israel when I was very young. So it was their choice. It wasn't my choice. And I grew up in Israel. Uh, which was a lovely childhood. It was, you know, it was the 1980s. Israel was quite provincial. This was before high tech, uh, before Israel became such a cosmopolitan player uh, in business and so on. And uh, I, uh, I basically actually felt a bit too English in Israel for a very long time. Uh, and I actually even went back to boarding school in England for high school. And it was only when I came back to uh, do my military service in the IDF that I actually decided that I want to live here. So it became my choice when I was around 18, 19 years old. Until then, it was my parents' choice. And it became my choice because I just really connected with the diversity of Israeli 
society. I liked the fact that we were very different. You mentioned being English. So in England, in England, there was, you know, at the time, of course, a lot of hierarchy and sort of, you know, there wasn't actually that there, there, of course, a lot of different cultures in the UK, but, but, you know, people kept to themselves and so on. And, and in Israel, it was all mixed up, especially in the army. So that was when I kind of felt most uh, that, that, that Israel is home. Um, having said that, I got into uh, um, Cambridge University to study law. So I went back to England. So again, my life kind of goes back and forth between England until I'm in my sort of mid 20s. Uh, and then I come back to Israel. I meet my uh, Israeli-American future husband. We end up getting married. We've got three children. And uh, over the years, I, I became a lawyer, but I'm, I'm not actually very adversarial in nature. I'm much more interested in building relationships and meeting people than I am with having a debate or an argument or trying to find a, a solution to a problem that will occur in the future. Um, sorry to, to generalize about, about law. No, 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 that's wonderful. And, uh, can, and can so, start, sorry, can, can I, can I, don't know, because you, you, you said it, you know, so um, mildly and, and, you know, I can't, I, I can't understand how, you know, a 17 years old girl living in London, having beautiful life, boarding through and, you know, coming to Israel, you know, summer heat, you know, as someone who's been to the army, it's not. There are some, you know, let's say not ugly, but, you know, very rough, rough. Uh, I was in shock. So, I was in shock on the first day. So how, but how did you make the decision? It's, 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 it's not in the, you, it's not, it's not linear thinking. It's like, how come you say, no, no, I'm going to do that instead of staying and going to, you know, Cambridge sure. or whatever. No, I mean, you know, when you grow up in a very um, Zionist household and you come to live in Israel, because you, you know, your parents chose to move there um, to live. We're not religious in any way. We just want to be, you know, proudly Jewish. We're very secular, but but kind of, you know, we do Friday nights and stuff. And um, part of living abroad is recognizing that you do feel that you're not necessarily part of the the bigger picture, especially in in I think Europe. And I think maybe a lot of Americans are now experiencing that in the United States, which they didn't experience until recently as much. So the sense mm -hmm. of not being sort of, I remember the first time I went to America when I was about 15, and I remember seeing um, adverts, it was Christmas. And I remember seeing adverts on TV and it wasn't just Merry Christmas, it was also Happy Hanukkah. And I was in shock. I'd never seen that before because in, the, in England, that didn't used to, to be the case. They didn't recognize, you know, uh, Jewish holidays in such a manner. And then you come and you live in Israel and, and it's the opposite in the sense that I don't need to try hard to be actively Jewish, which when you live outside of Israel, you actually have to, you know, work at it. And I think that that combination made it, made it very special uh, for me. And also I recently uh, went on a holiday to Madrid and I, and I loved it. And I loved it, I think, because it was smaller and, and more kind of intimate than Barcelona that I had been to before. It was more like Tel Aviv without a beach. <laughs> and I think I just like being in an environment. I, I think I'd rather be a big fish in a small pond than a small fish in a big pond. So I think that's what kind or, of... Or a big fish in a big pond. <laughs> or maybe, yeah, I don't know. I haven't tried that out. But I, I think that that's what, um, you know, in the end, Israel has something that is so unique. And it's really like this ongoing crazy experiment that sometimes works, sometimes doesn't work so well. And it's not, I don't view Israel with rose colored glasses and you know, that's my view, but I feel in Israel, I feel the most alive. I feel that I celebrate life here wow. and it's connected to my Judaism. It's connected to, to my friends. I, I just, I love living here. I love raising my kids here and, um, it's here that I feel it the most. It's just home. Wow. Wow. But, and, and I think it's, you were probably, I haven't known you at that age, but you were probably a very unusual young woman because, you know, at the age of 17, you probably had to ask yourself some serious questions. Otherwise, you wouldn't have come with such deep answers. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think that at the time... I think I was just a regular teenager who wasn't very happy at school in Israel. I was too shy and I was too quiet and timid. And I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't this Israel. Now I'm much more Israeli. But at the time I was very kind of, I was very English. 
you know. And uh, my brother and my cousin had gone to this boarding school before me and, and they were happy and I figured, you know, I'll try it out there. And, uh, and yeah, I think actually with hindsight, it's a big decision to make. But uh, at the time, I just, I just kind of went with the flow. And then later, I kind of came into myself and became more confident and, and, and asked myself these, this, these questions that I still ask myself, because as well as a country that you literally have to choose, if you have other passports and other opportunities, you literally have to choose living here practically every single day with, with everything that's going on. Um, and I look at my friends who live abroad in England, in America, in Australia and other countries. Uh, and I, and I, at the moment, I'm still choosing Israel. <laughs> I don't know what to say long term. We'll see how the politics go and then what happens in this country. But, uh, uh, you know, this is, you, this is still the you, place for me. You probably know Brené Brown, right? You probably know Brené Brown. Brené Brown? Brené Brown, you know? No, I don't know her. No. Oh, you must. Oh, I, I'll send you some oh, links. Anyway, she, she's a real leader. A leader yeah. I, and she said that uh, what she, she, she's choosing courage. So she's saying every, mom, every morning, because she's shy and introvert, but she, she, she thinks she has a responsibility to, to do something in the world. And she says, the best days for me are that I'm not talking to anyone, I'm just doing my work, but she, she has to be in the world. So what she says that every morning before she puts her feet on the ground, she says, I promise to be courageous today, to be in the arena and to do something. Yeah. I don't know about tomorrow <laughs> or the exactly. next day, exactly. but today I promised myself to be courage. So I think when to be courageous. So when I hear what you're saying, I feel that it's it's in a way it's similar. That it, it, it is. I think. Day. Yeah, I mean, I think for sure the the whole thing with COVID made us realize that we have no idea what the future holds, um, and that everything you know we're, we're in a sea and it's uh, you know the, the waves kind of sometimes are high and sometimes are low. I used to be much more kind of I would want to look much further into the future. Now I get it that we have to. <laughs> see what's going to happen that we have a lot less control over things uh, than I would have thought but the other thing is that you know I did uh, and this is not in my CV but I have um, I had a wonderful grandfather who was a big businessman and kind of also very uh, lovely uh, very good on people skills and I think that he gave me a lot of kind of um, um, an opportunity to sort of look at how how big life can be if you if you choose to do it and I uh, and my grandmother, who's still alive, um, was also a very strong uh, woman who went into politics when she was in England. And so there's also this, uh, you know, I never grew up with the understanding that women couldn't do whatever they wanted and quite the contrary. So yeah. I think I was enveloped by it from a very early age. And fortunately, we have the ability to be support supportive towards various causes. So if you can and you do choose a certain cause, then you can you know, invest your, your life in it, which I've been very fortunate to be able to do. Yeah. If I just may say, I met your grandmother. She's remarkable, astonishing woman. And thank you for introducing you. me to her. Yeah. 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 My pleasure. <laughs> so um, you talked about your grandfather and your grandmother. So I understand they are were in source. I think they're in source. They are a source of inspiration for you regarding life in general. Were there other figures that, you know, more, I would say, more precisely inspiration, source of inspiration regarding Israel and your activities? I mean, or... Yeah, I would, I, I'll mention um, one very personal and one professional. So the very personal is my mother, um, who uh, my, my, uh, my brother at the age of 21 died in a car accident. And uh, he died with three other uh, of his friends in the car when he was a soldier. It wasn't, he wasn't horrible during his uh, active military service, but he was a soldier at the time uh, and they all died in a car accident. And I, um, my, my mother is a source of inspiration in terms of, of, you know, when, when life takes a turn that you, you fully don't expect for the worse, you know, it's a choice. Everything goes back to, to being a choice. You can choose to, give into it and to, to go through life in a very, very sort of, um, in a way that, that doesn't let you live it to the fullest. And you can choose to, to dedicate your life to whatever it is that you want to and to 
stay, you know, happy person and, and things like that. And, and my mother, um, for me, is, is an inspiration of how you choose to um, just be positive and, and focus on what you do have rather than get drawn into what you don't have. So that's on the, and it applies to my, my uh, you know, career as well and what I'm trying to achieve because I can't, like, I, I, sometimes if I'm finding it hard, which is, it's hard, and we'll talk about that in a second, because I'm trying to introduce a completely different way of, of improving Israel's image and connecting young people to Israel. Uh, and it's not easy when you're trying to do something which goes against the, the stream. Yeah. Uh, so when I find it hard, I think of, you know, uh, growing up and seeing my, my mother and how she handled my brother's accident and, and how she chooses to be a very happy person despite what she's experienced. So that's that's on the on the personal um, side, on is, the professional she, side. Yeah, and also I think if I may say, I mean, what she did is that she transformed her grief into an incredible, you know, movement in a sense. Would you like yeah, to we, say something um, about that? My brother was a rower at the boarding school in uh, in England, and he came back to Israel and wanted to actually row for Israel and eventually be in the Olympics at the time. I don't think rowing was even in the Olympics. Um, and then he wasn't able to. So we built the Daniel Rowing Center in his memory to hopefully have someone else stand there in his stead. And, and we do have Paralympic rowers who, who have stood on the podium. So we're very, uh, very happy with that achievement. And this is something that my mother does, uh, you know, amongst other things that she also is involved in. So, so she's really um, taken it to, to where, you know, she, she was able to. Uh, on the professional level, I, um, I, when I was 35, I had three young children. Um, I was in business, but I wasn't like really passionate about what I was doing. I'm probably not motivated by making financial profit. I'm more interested in seeing a social change. And I decided that I wanted to go into the nonprofit world and to really focus on how do I bridge this gap between uh, you know, perception and reality when it comes to Israel, because Israel is a country that I was living in and I thought it was great. And when you look at how the world sees it, even today, which was 13 years later, still there's a massive gap. Those who know Israel and have been here or experienced Israel know that it's not the country that, uh, you know, people around the world think about at all. And so that was my interest. And, and the first person that I actually met, I remember I, I remember deciding this is what I want to focus on. So I'm a passionate person. Now I know what I'm passionate about. I have some, some you know, financial ability to invest in this. What do I do with it? And I remember calling my grandmother and saying, you know, lots of people, introduce me to someone, anybody. And she happened to be at the opening of the Hotel Montefiore uh, in Tel Aviv. And she had met Ido Awoni, who at the time was at the foreign ministry. He was the head of the Brand Israel Project. Later, he was sent to become the consul general in New York for Israel. But at the time, uh, he was he had just uh, sort of established something called the Brand Israel Project in the foreign ministry. And I had just completed my MBA with a speciality in marketing and branding. And that's what I wanted to do. And I really liked it. And my grandma said to me, look, you know, I met this guy. He's doing something to do with branding and something to do with Israel. And you like both. So, so you know, let's let's go out for dinner with him. And that's what we did. And Ido introduced me to a field, a methodology called country branding, which I had not heard of before. This was 2009. Um, and it's an industry that started 10 years before, but it was really quite young. And Ido was sort of bringing this methodology and industry to Israel as a way to improve Israel's image. Uh, usually it's led by the government. And so this was a project that the government was meant to lead. And I, I was like, right, you know, I was there. I said to him, you, you, you had me at hello. What is this? Tell me what it's all about. I want to know more. And, and that's how I started. And so uh, I really recommend anybody who's interested in the field and, and is interested in a different perspective of, on how do, you, how do you even look at Israel? Um, there are lots of things that have to do, you know, often we blame the media, we blame anti-Semites, and we blame the BDS movement and stuff like that. I don't think that's the problem. A lot of it has to do with us and what we're doing and how we look at the situation and what we're thinking about in order to transform it. And, and Ido Aroni is one of the best people that you could talk to or hear a, a lecture by yeah. about this topic. So that's the second yeah. one. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, I know him as well. Yeah, yeah. 
So then what you went home after this dinner with him and your grand, what did what did you say to your husband? Uh, well, he was my husband was there with me at the dinner. Ah, it was with the dinner. Okay, so he saw <laughs> and he discovered that his Ido's wife was his English teacher when he was a kid or something weird. So they were talking. <laughs> and then um Ido was talking to my grandmother was there and my my uncle was there. And for the first time, Ido was talking about. about what he was doing and he was talking about Israel in terms that I had never heard before because the focus was on who are we what's our story what do we do well what do we like when we're at our best so it was very it's kind of like positive psychology thinking right the kind of half glass full approach yeah. and I loved it and and I didn't say a word during um, the meeting and that's that was a, a new for me so I called him and I said like I'm really interested in hearing about it my husband could see that I was you something ignited you know <laughs> he knows you yeah 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 and uh and then he do um for about eight months I actually kind of shadowed him so he was in the foreign ministry he basically established this big project to, to where the idea is really that you're you're marketing a product and the product that you're marketing and branding is a country so mm-hmm. every country today does this at the time it was fairly new and the idea was that You know if you had to to uh, you know um, sell Israel uh, in a supermarket shelf why would people choose Israel over other options and when I say choose I mean in terms of, as tourists or as business investors or talent that would consider coming to work here or Jews who want to come and live here why would Israelis stay here this was all about what are we best at what are we good at and And uh, I said to him, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in learning more about this. And so he invited me to join any meeting that he went to. Wow. He was, he was kind of, you. yeah, it was, it was really fantastic because I got to meet from the government perspective and then from outside the government. And that was two very different mm. things. And in the government, the idea was so novel that it was almost impossible to get through. You know, the, the thinking, yeah. the... Um, ethos the whole viewpoint of the Israeli government also to, if you look today in the Jewish diaspora you'll see it very similar is that we are we are um, being attacked we need to defend ourselves when talking about Israel you need to advocate for Israel you, you need to do as Barah in English uh, Hasbara which literally means to explain yourself yeah. and that is not the same as when you're just presenting yourself and promoting mm-hmm. yourself it's two very different things they live side by side so I would say sort of hasbara uh, and advocacy are more for crisis management and then marketing and branding is what you do every day just like a company mm-hmm. so companies every day are selling their products and if there's a crisis then they bring in a crisis management team and then they have to explain themselves right so it's not the same basically in, in very simple terms you advocacy and and has uh, bara sits here yeah. in the brain so, but, but, but and marketing and branding you. sits in the hearts basically <laughs> but so this was the first step this is the journey you're going with it yeah I joined him for all these meetings yeah. he was not and, able to uh, as a as a government representative his connection to the outside world the business people so on was not as as close so I would arrange meetings. Ah, beautiful I would bring people into a room and and then I would present him and I would say look this is a really interesting idea the, the government does it but the people need to join and and buy into it so listen okay. to this guy and then okay. he would talk okay so this is where you're really starting being proactive in a sense yeah yeah and I, and I was very very excited by it I was really interested in it first of all I asked him what books to read um, I discovered that you couldn't study it at school and And so I started mm-hmm. reading books about from, from Al Rice's positioning for the 1970s all the wow. way up to um, wow. any book that was available. And I kind of read articles and I found it like, how did Spain change its image after the Franco era? And, okay. uh, you know, all different things like that. It was and fascinating. Tell us, tell us, it's beautiful. Yeah. So what, 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 also, what also was very fascinating? So besides Spain, how they changed their image after Franco? It's every, the, was... the whole... Um, It basically began in the, in the around the year 2000 2000 you know between 2000 2005 some people mm. who were in the um, commercial marketing and branding world understood that you know a city or a country or a region also has to sell itself right how do, how do governments survive they they get you know taxes and they get income from 
you know, businesses and uh, which is also taxes, but tourists and so on. And how do you make sure that they, you know, the tourist chooses your country and not another tourist product? Mm -hmm. So it becomes a competitive issue. And you understand mm -hmm. that you're living in a competitive world and you have to start defining what do you have to offer that your competition doesn't have to offer? And what's special about you rather than saying, I'm not them, who are mm -hmm. you? And this, mm -hmm. and I feel, I felt that that transitioned um, and segued into conversations like even today, when Israel is presenting itself, it often says, we're not an apartheid state, but that doesn't say anything about who we are. It doesn't define, we're letting others define who we are. And so this perspective is a very interesting uh, and methodological approach where mm. you, you start by focusing on, you know, what are we, the citizens of this country or the residents of this city, what do we think we're best at? What is our unique sort of selling proposition, if you will? And then what is the you, essence of our identity in yeah, a sense? Yeah, it's just like it's just like human beings, right? You know, when my kids were small, I would I would say my son is the sensitive one, my daughter is the creative, my middle daughter is the creative one, and my youngest daughter is the funny one, right? There's like usually just one thing that you tend to kind of remember about people. Einstein, he was you know yeah. a genius, right? That's the brand, and the same with you know companies. And the same with countries. So when we think of Paris or cities, Paris reminds us of, we think of romance. When we think of, you know, different countries around the world, they, they, we conjure up different thoughts and images and ideas. And that's what country branding is. So the question became, what is Israel? What's May unique I about ask Israel? a question regarding that? Because when you're talking about Spain or Paris or United States, you know, they are extremely mature countries. Yeah. You, you yourself, you said that Israel is still in experimental phase. You know, I'm yeah. coming from the technology world. So right now we, we, are, we are in the phase, you know, of the deceptive and, you know, we might become exponentials. But I'm saying, so how can you create... I mean, how can you project who you are while you're still evolving all the time and changing? Yeah, that's no, a great <laughs> question. It actually reminds me, and, I, and I'll answer in a second, but it's suddenly I was reminded. Yeah, because, yeah of course. Um, after I established my organization and, and, and we, we, you know, did a, a bunch of stuff, which we'll talk about. One of the things that I did a few years ago was I hired um, the equivalent of what I would call the McKinsey of the field of country branding. They work with various countries and cities around the world. And we hired them to do the branding for Israel, to come up with that unique sort Beautiful. of essence of you Israel. You did it on yourself for the, for the country, unbelievable. unbelievable. We, the, the organization, we did it with the support of donors and you know, uh, definitely yeah. not alone, but, uh, but that was the yeah. idea. The idea is if we have a story to tell, we need to know what that story is. We need to define it very well. And actually over time it was uh, endorsed by the president of Israel. So you know, we're, we're very happy with it. One of the things that the CEO of the consulting company said to me is that Israel has the energy and um, sense of possibility and excitement of a third world country, but the living standard and sort of business and food of a first world country. And that combination doesn't exist in mm. lots of countries. Usually you have third world, you kind of have second leading into first world, but Israel's this really kind of contrast this juxtaposition of you know mm -hmm. sometimes very provincial and sometimes very modern and that's really mm -hmm. exciting so it just reminded me um but uh, you asked me how does a how does a country present itself when it's still evolving i think you can ask the same for for companies companies over okay. their lifetime develop mm -hmm. into who they are it's usually mm -hmm. there's usually a um, when you define the brand for a, for a company it should be timeless. You should be touching upon something that is very resilient. It doesn't change over time. I mean, one of the things that we're looking at as an example is the United States. In the United States, the, the, the essence of the brand of America and what comes up in people's minds is liberty and freedom yeah. and you know possibility. And you look at what's going on in America right now and you ask yourself, is what's going on going to stand the test of time? because suddenly they're discussing issues that are going against liberty and freedom. And that's a, that's a cause of concern. And I think that we will see, and we've seen, because there are rankings of countries over time, we've seen changes in perceptions towards the United States uh, as a result of these changes that are really, really quite significant. In Israel's case, 
I think that um, what we defined and what we came up with are three narratives that really kind of focus on who Israel is. But deep down, I mentioned it before, and somehow it, it, it connected completely in a very arbitrary way. I mentioned before that in Israel, I feel the most alive and I feel that I sort of my, my, my mission and my vision personally is to celebrate life. When we did this process for Israel, we, we actually did it with leadership of, of the various uh, um, aspects of Israel, whether it's the religious, the cultural, the business, the sports, everything, government. And we actually came up with a very similar essence to, uh, to who, what Israel makes you feel, which is that Israel makes you feel alive. That when you're here, you're kind of, sometimes it's not necessarily in your comfort zone, but you really connect to yourself and you really kind of, it's like living in 3D or Technicolor mm-hmm. when you kind of lived in, in kind of 2D or 1D for a long time. So those two things actually converged. And, and the, mm-hmm. the story that we tell of Israel, which of course has to be authentic, is about how Israelis, by definition, when you, when you, one of the things that we do best is we celebrate life. When you think of when we raise a glass, we say l'chaim, which means to life. That comes from, yeah. from Judaism. Uh, and 75% of Israel is Jewish. So the, 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 the sort of the resilience of the Jewish people is very much felt in Israel. Um, so the celebrating and, and working hard and playing hard and living in conditions that are very sort of, you know, uh, complex uh, is very Israeli, that you can sort of be resilient and live through it and still kind of, we're considered a rather happy and optimistic people. Yeah, That's one yeah, of the I things know. that we are, one of our narratives. Second narrative is about the diversity of society so it somehow reflects my my experiences but this is something that I think a lot of Israelis feel but don't actually notice a lot of the time and the third one is is what you're very much involved in which is the ingenuity the the sort of the the um, the business community that there's an element a combination of this out-of-the-box thinking and entrepreneurship and fantastic initiative and believing the impossible and at the same time and this was the piece that I think is missing in the startup nation message and what our consultant saw that we and claimed that we don't promote enough, which is the warmth of the Israeli business community. The fact that if you're a business person, you come to Israel, you tend to get invited for Friday night dinner to the home of a family who's sort of the business partner. So these, uh, these three narratives, when you put them all together, we came up with a sentence, which is we're an optimistic nation of dreamers and doers bound together by time and place, which is referring to the 75%, 25%, you know, not everybody's Jewish here and it's not always easy. And, and we have to recognize and appreciate, uh, you know, those parts of society as well, making our mark in the world. And that's about the sort of the more kind of the tech and the innovation and so forth. But may I say, you know, I've been listening you, a lot to you, yes, in the last uh, week and, you also rem- reminded the issue of tikkun olam. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I think I think it's important. Yeah. So because yeah. you're talking a lot about it, and I think it's very important. And also, I think there was a beautiful story about um, that you came out with the energy, and then the, the president of the branding company s- said, "But it's not enough. Let's you know elaborate." So can you just talk about these yeah. two things? Because I think so, I think they are um, very important for. Sure. So for, for anybody who's not Jewish, who's watching it, tikkun olam is a Jewish value of repairing the world. It's one of the things that the Jewish people uh, uh, have been told and, and instructed that that is their role in this world, to make the world a better place. And certainly part of, of um, what, uh, you know, when you think about the innovation that occurs in this country, and the fact that a lot of that innovation goes towards life-saving technologies, and a lot of our, our sort of feeling about saving lives and things like that, that the, the fact that there's so many breakthroughs here in, in areas that can actually really repair the world um, is not, it's not happenstance. It happened because this is a value that we were brought up into. And it's instilled in us, even if we're the most secular people in the world. And what you're referring to with the energy is that when the Brand Israel project was originally conceived, they did a similar process with a professional at the time in 2007, 8, 9. And they came up with um, the term creative energy. When it comes to who, what is Israel about, um, you know, what's so unique about Israel? 
And when we evaluated that 10 years later, uh, the, the consulting company said, you know, uh, creativity is something that countries 10 years ago, no country really said, we're a creative country. Israel was one of the very few countries that actually said it. You know, there was Silicon Valley, so it's California as a state claiming we're creative, we're innovative, we're entrepreneurial. And then there was Silicon Valley, which was Israel, and we were claiming to be very creative. But 10 years later, when we were reevaluating this, and this is one of the things that we just talked about, about how you sometimes have to evolve a bit as long as you maintain sort of a clear um, essence. One of the things you can't really brand yourself in terms that other countries are already using. So by 2018, when we did this, many countries were claiming to be very creative, innovation-based economies. This wasn't unique anymore. And so we focused on the word energy. And um, the head of the consulting company said, you know, energy is great, but energy can go in many, many different ways. The question is, what kind of energy do people feel when they engage with Israel and when they come across Israel? And, and that's how we came up with Israel making you feel alive. But it's that's all beautiful. connected. It's all connected. Yeah. I want to ask two questions which are, you know, relating to what you said. So first of all, is it really these three beautiful stories and, you know, and the Tikkun Olam and which I think is beneath you. Also, may I quote you, you said beautifully in one of the interviews, you said, well, we're so creative, but look, we don't, we're not extremely creative in the fintech. We have some solutions, but you see what, so I think this was a beautiful notion that you know, something, something in the Jewish or Israeli heart goes to, you know, it's... Yeah, I mean, we've got, look, you can find great companies in fintech and in gaming and in a ton of areas. But if you look at the majority of what Israel's going towards, even cyber, cyber is about protection. We're protecting ourselves against people who are, in the end, you know, cyber is everywhere. And that's one of Israel's biggest industries. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah, it's true. It's <laughs> not to say that we're not good at those other things. <laughs> No, it's okay. So I was wondering, is it really differentiating, probably when you worked, so you, there was a question, is it really differentiating from Spain or, I don't know, from Silicon Valley? So can you talk about that? I think it's very important. And also, we had some conversation and I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know I'm, I'm spending at least half of my time not in Israel. I mean, I'm working over, with overseas and I go a lot, you know, to all, all kinds of convention and I always... I'm always, I'm the Israeli. I'm, I'm the first one. I, I, I'm an Israeli. I represent this and this and this. And I'm, I keep telling this is this is Israel and I'm, I'm not unique. This is how Israelis are. I mean, I, yeah. it's very important for me to convey this. Mm -hmm. But we talked about it and I think you put, you know, you put your finger on a very important point, which is extremely hard to explain to people what it is Israel unless they come here. And you see that people that come here, I, I, even is in these conventions, you know, people were coming to me and says, well, I've been to Israel and, and the other, I've never been to Israel. And you saw some people, you know, and you see, um, last time I was, I was, I came only a month ago, less than a month ago from uh, Abandon 306. It's my, my, my mentor, Peter Diamandis. And by chance, I met Philip Rosendale. Philip Rosendale is Jewish. His wife is Jewish. He has four children. You know, who had bar mitzvah and everything, he had he he's created second life. Yeah. Extremely vibrant, he's creative, he's his ditch for now is taking a year off because he wants to see what it can be, be what can be done better in metaverse, because he wants to connect people and he's concerned that right now we are, you know, he gave a, a, a there was a discussion with him in Ark Invest only last week. And I kept asking, come to Israel. Come to Israel, and you know, I was so eager because I thought this kind of person be here for him, it's going to be like being in Disneyland. I mean, in the sense that, yeah, can you explain? Because you also you've been living elsewhere. You you have, you know, a, a wonderful network. Why is it so hard to explain what it is? Well, what it is? Well? So I think that um, a lot of it has to do with semantics. So no other country is explaining who they are. They really aren't. They're not even thinking in those terms. Most countries are, are known through a variety. You, you discover countries through, you know, many, many different sources of information. Uh, in the past, I would say that, you know, the, uh, the only way you could discover a country is to actually you either read about it in the newspaper or see a TV show about it or something or, or you visit. Um, of course, since the, uh, you know, since these things, 
<laughs> basically, you can find out anything about anything, including about countries. So while I agree that coming to Israel is the best way to, to really discover who we are, and as a person who, who for almost 10 years brought trips of, of digital influences to Israel to show them that, because we know that's the best way, first-hand experience of the country. I think that uh, we're missing a huge piece uh, of, of how we present ourselves to the world, which is through uh, using sort of digital methods. And every other country is doing that. Unfortunately, Israel isn't investing a lot of energy in that because they're focused on you know, trying to fight the negative narrative. And, and, and that, again, brings us into a very narrow understanding of who Israel is. And it's to do with the conflict. It's not about who we are. It's about policies relating to a conflict. Um, I think that, that Israel finds it so difficult because we, we, the Israelis, we, the Israeli government, we, the Jewish people, don't tell our story enough and don't share it on enough platforms in a way that is um, that is holistic. So, you know, I look at, at TV formats about Israel and we celebrate Fauda, the success of Fauda, and we celebrate the success of Shtisel and all of these different programs. But in the end, all we're showing is what we've always showed, which is conflict or religion and primarily Jewish religion. And that is what the world is seeing. So when Jewish people talk about Israel, they primarily will, will either talk about it in terms of, of relating to the conflict or relating to their Jewish connection somehow. And then when they come to Israel, they suddenly discover this very vibrant, modern, fun place where you can eat, like they're shocked that it's difficult to find a kosher restaurant in some areas of Israel. <laughs> and it's very easy in other areas. Um, the energy here is palpable, right? And, and that is something that they're not expecting because the, the, the basic understanding is quite th that we're quite a serious country, quite solemn, quite sort of, you know, because we're religious and because we're deeply embroiled in a conflict. But I look at other countries and I look at, at Italy and I look at, uh, you know, Brazil and I look at the Philippines. These are Roman Catholic countries. They're also dictated by religion in a certain way. I mean, Jesus is literally standing there in, you know, uh, in some areas. And yet, when you think of Italy, that's not what you think about first and foremost. And when you think, you know, you think of style and, and you know, fun and, and, and all these different uh, uh, aspects and food and culture and, and beauty. Sensuality, and sensuality, yeah. Yeah. And when you think of Brazil, you think of soccer and, and the dancing and the fun and, and, you know, the energy of the people. And these are all countries that are also religious by definition countries. Israel is, yes, uh, uh, you know, dictated by, by uh, some, to some extent by Jewish law, but that's not what we're all about. If that was what we're all about, I probably wouldn't be very happy living here because I'm not a religious person. So we're not really telling our story to the world. Whenever I see uh, anything that's either in the newspapers or on TV or a, um, a food show or anything like that, I will always sort of, you know, if I were in charge of it, I would always make sure that it's not just about the aspects of Israel that everybody knows already, which is Jewish or conflict, but it's about other may, parts. May I say in one of the interviews, you talked about the fact that you, you are amazed that we are not taking the food culture that we have here forward can you yeah. elaborate because i think this is a beautiful this is a beautiful insights and, and yeah and i mean we can pick on it food is a is a um is a connector everybody loves food there's no yeah. there's no question about it. it 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 teaches you about about history and about culture and about tradition and about you know the, the way we think you know whenever we talk about innovation we talk about israel in terms of innovation you find innovation, you know, the Israeli chefs are super innovative, right? They're, it's always, it's there. And Israel has one of the best food scenes out there. And not only does it have one of the best ones because it's so diverse, right? Because we've got Middle Eastern food mixed in with every other kind of food because of all the different, you know, Jewish. Uh, um, Japanese uh, didn't know that this is Japanese food until they came here. Yeah. <laughs> we have the most, the most sushi restaurants after Tokyo. Yeah, unbelievable. Weird. Who knew? Anyway, the point is that, um, you know, not only do we have great food, we, we also um, have the ability to tell our story through the food. And that's something that people are really, really interested in. 
And if the, the, the food to, I think in the last, we do research about Israel every year, especially amongst young people. And we ask them, you know, what does Israel do best? And in the past, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, most people actually say, I don't know, actually, uh, which is a interesting answer. But of course, religion and, and stuff like that. Uh, in recent years, culinary, so the food scene has come up, which is great. What I was saying in that interview was that if we decide that this is really a great channel through which people can discover who Israelis are and what Israel is all about, and through which we can also even counter in a roundabout way the negative narrative about Israel, because through food you discover the values that people have and sort of, you know, where they're coming from and what they're all about. It goes against the, a very hard, clear-cut uh, negative narrative that is out there about Israeli people. And if we looked at it strategically and you know, um, created a strategic program to highlight Israeli food, and it wasn't just left up to chefs opening restaurants or a festival here and a festival there, which is mainly by the private sector. If this was something that was really promoted, I think that it would have gone much further. And in 2019, all of the tours, all of the trips that we did were focused on food because we saw it as, a, as an opportunity to really promote it. I know, for example, the, the tourism ministry focuses on promoting Israeli wine. That is another, you know, the world doesn't know, but actually wine originated in the land of Israel. So it's wow. the first place. I didn't know that either, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I uh, it you know, it's here on the land itself, but yeah. I can tell you from my experience with bringing wine sort of specialists to Israel, we've got good wine, but we're not really competing with the likes of, you know, Italy and okay. France and Chile and whatever, <laughs> but food, food we are. And okay. of course, food and wine going together. So I, I'm, I'm all for promoting. The idea is basically choose the areas in which Israel's already good at. We do it in business, right? We, we can do it with, with food. We can do it with the LGBTQ community. We can do it with, you know, world music. There are so many areas, TV formats. There are so many areas that Israel's really good at but you need a strategic program and you need to invest the resources in order to actually make it happen. In, in countries where it's actually done properly, uh, and even in Israel, you mentioned at the beginning, I'm a director uh, from the public on the board of Tel Aviv Global and Tourism. That is the marketing and branding arm of the city of Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv was always cool. It was always a great city, but 10 years ago, Tel Aviv Global was established and their job is literally to let the world know that, is, that Tel Aviv is cool. And now the world knows. So you can actually work at it. You just need to put the funds in. You need to have the strategy. It's quite a boutique industry. Not that many people are specialists in this field. Uh, I'm, I'm one of them. There are not that many out there, but it's totally, totally doable. And that's what's very, I admit, frustrating to me because I see so much energy, so many resources being poured into trying to go against a negative narrative about Israel. Finding it very, very difficult because very difficult today to argue with facts when there aren't really facts, there are alternative facts and there's no real news, there's fake news. So you can't, very difficult to, to, to get a win there. And yet you've got this huge opening of people who are more than willing to engage with Israel but not about conflict, about other things. And Israel and the Jewish people choose not to go there, which I find it's like a huge blind spot. And I find that, I admit, very, very frustrating, but I'm still dedicated to trying to, to make it happen. I think, first of all, I, would, I have a question. And in any case, John, I think we will have to meet again because I haven't asked you about what you did. I'm sorry, but everything no, you're saying okay. is so important. I hope you're enjoying it as well, so as, as yeah, much yeah. at least. In the end, look, in the end, it doesn't really matter what I did. In the end, it's a mindset. And what yeah. we need is a huge shift in mindset. That's what I'm Once thinking. Once the mindset changes, everything will come. We're still stuck in a mindset from the 1980s, which was stuck in a mindset from the 1950s of how to advocate for Israel and how to successfully get people to engage. I totally with agree. But what, 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 but I think there is a generation, I'm, I'm talking now, you know, I'm involved in the business world and I'm teaching about, you know, what is the new business world. And the one of the first things that I'm talking about, which are the forces which are right now, you know, um, I would say, you know, they are really challenging the status quo 
well, all over right now is the, the generation replacement. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, baby boomers, you know, they're really, no, they're retiring. That's it. it yeah, took a while, they're already retired. They're... We're, we're Gen X. You and I yeah. are Gen X. Okay, yeah. we, we will be retiring, you know, in what? 10, 20, well, I, I could, I, I'm going to work to 100. Yeah, I know. True. <laughs> yeah, but baby boomers are, are in their, you know, yeah. 70s yeah. already. Yeah. 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 And then and, there's Gen and now, X. Yeah. And now it's millennials and then Gen Z. And I yeah. totally agree with you. That's the huge, huge opportunity. There's a been a massive change in the world that we are ignoring. And I'm specifically looking at it as it relates to Israel, but I think this is true yeah. too. To any country, any brand, any product, any person, I think we're we're experiencing and living through one of the biggest revolutions that mankind has experienced, certainly since the industrial revolution 100 years ago, which which I kind of call the the communication revolution. So this isn't about the internet. Internet was kind of like an information revolution. You could access any information you wanted, but what it is about is is this, right? It's about social media. It's about how people communicate, because basically. Social media for the next generation. So we're talking kind of like 40 and under. The, these, these things, and I, I'm 48 and I'm still very attached to this thing. They dictate everything that we do, how we make decisions, how we gather information, who, what we, where we want to go on vacation, what companies we want to invest in, what we want to study. We don't go anywhere without the impact of social media because social media, which is really... It's either just media, right? You know, everything that, that was media is now goes into social media because you don't actively go seeking it. It comes to you. Um, and it's also, also sort of answers the, the basic human need of looking for what's called social proof. So to, to make decision, you're looking at other people and asking yourself, are they making the same decisions? In that case, my decision must be justified. Yeah. And the social proof is very much alive and kicking on social media. So people are looking at what others are doing and and following suit. And this is something which is very worrying and and dangerous for Israel because, you know, the negative narrative certainly is taking flight in social media. And what we're doing is we're reactive to to these things that are being said. And, and, you know, young young people and certainly uh, the the anti-Israel movement is very good at what they do. And they use the way social media works to really kind of influence opinion and provide facts and and so on. And I think that we're missing, we're still talking. When I say we, I mean like the royal we, right? The the word we, which means I. But so I don't mean myself, but I mean generally the Israeli Israeli government, the Jewish people are not talking to the next generation. They're talking in terms of my generation and above. They're still worried about what's written in the New York Times. They're still concerned about what caption was in the CNN or Sky News or any of that, Washington Post, blah, blah, blah. Nobody under the age of 40 is only looking at that. Actually, most young people are not looking at those platforms. They don't want to look at it more than that. It's not accidental. And you know, I'm, I'm... Yeah, you know, I'm right now creating, I have a, you know, my small social initiative, which is dealing with um, stress and anxiety of Gen Z, because I'm, uh, yeah, worldwide. Yeah. I mean, this is a Jewish, this is a, an Israeli uh, initiative. I'm, I'm working on it with someone from uh, United States, my partner in crime. He's, uh, Fantastic. he's, 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 he's an Irish right. <laughs> living, living in New York. But they, you know, the people we meet right now, we I'm living in the evenings on Discord, of course. Oh, but the people around me don't they? Or and and on Twitter, I I'm involved right now because I think talking to young people, I don't think that you should even send photos. You have to create, you have co, you have to co-create with them on Web three, digital fashion. Yeah, you need art. to let them a lot of the time yeah. do the creating. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and. We have, and what I think for Israel, because we are so vibrant, it's easy for us, I think, to, you know, give, to create the experience on Web3. I mean, it's going to be much easier for us. So you don't have, you don't even have to jump on a plane. 
I mean, you can. No, really... that's what I was saying before. It's not even, yeah. and it's not. You don't even have to get to Web three. I, I, you know, I'm sure Web three is is going to take over, and and we'll see an evolution of of any of this. But it's yeah. actually, it's really not rocket science. We we just did about three months ago. We just did a piece of of research and 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 an activity. Yeah. Which was to we we pinpointed a certain young audience, college age campus students in the United States, minorities who are progressives. And we wanted to see what really? their opinion of Israel is. And then we wanted to see if we could do a, a, a targeted campaign with visuals and videos about Israel to this audience mm. and see if we could shift them. And we found to begin with that the, first of all, this is, they, they're not that anti-Israel to begin with. There's this an assumption that, you know, that they, they don't like Israel because they're young. Can and you explain to our audience, sorry, what is, when you're talking about minorities, to whom yeah, are African-American, uh, we were looking at the United States. There's, it's, well, it's a well-known concern in the Jewish and Israeli world that uh, the anti-Israel narrative on campuses in the United States is very, very violent and very aggressive. And young Jewish students are feeling very scared uh, and they're taking off, you know, their kippah and any... Yeah. So um, so we're looking at that audience. And I had this I, I because I, I'm a half glass full kind of gal. I'm convinced that and I know this from research that we've done. I'm convinced that actually the situation is much better than Israel thinks and the Jewish people think. And that, you know, young people actually don't know much about Israel at all. Those who do may have formed an opinion, but unlikely. They're kind of like a blank slate. And all we need to do is to color the, the, the blank canvas with authentic and true and attractive and relevant colors of, of who Israel is, and, and they will engage. That was my theory, and I thought I would test the theory. So we did this piece of research where we identified 900 uh, African-American or Latine, Latine, mm -hmm. Latino um, yeah. 18 to 24 year olds in Miami, Atlanta, and San Francisco who define themselves as progressives, and they're mm -hmm. on campus because we know that there's this big concern about the sort of left wing becoming rather anti-Israel. And um, we looked at them and we, we asked them very basic questions, things like, would you buy Israeli products? Would you tr travel for a vacation to Israel? And what's your general perception of Israel from very unfavorable all the way up to very favorable? And what we found to begin with is, sure, I'll go to Israel. Sure, I'll buy Israeli products. They're, they're like 60, 60 something plus percent. Like, yeah, which was more like an expression of I've got nothing against than necessarily saying I really want to go. But it, first of all, first and foremost, tells you that they're not like anti-Israel and won't buy Israeli products as a result. But the what was most interesting is the, the question about favorability. So we asked, what's your general perception? And less than 10% were unfavorable towards Israel. 40% oh. were neither favorable nor fa unfavorable. And 50% were favorable or very favorable towards Israel. Wow. Well amongst this audience that we're most worried about. And all we do all day is try to explain to them why our policies are okay. And what I'm saying is, this is the blind spot. They don't care about our policies. If they did, they would have an opinion. So let's bring Israel to them. So that's what we did for three weeks. We took some content, some video content wow. that we had about Brilliant. vegan food and, and, and dogs in Tel Aviv and, and just you know Dead Sea, Jerusalem, Tel Aviv kind of uh, travel. And we, we completely branded it Vibe Israel. So it was very clear that this was paid, sponsored content by an Israeli organization that is not embarrassed to say we're Israeli. We're loud and proud about it. And we spent a, a little bit of money in paid promotion. So these was paid ads on Facebook and Instagram targeting this particular audience with these videos over three weeks. And after three weeks, first of all, we invested $30,000 and we got 3 million hits out of it. So you wow. can see that, yes, it costs wow. money. But yeah, you can get very, very, it's pay to play. That's advertising wow. on, on social media. Zuckerberg wants to make money. That's okay. Uh, and the second thing is that then we did the research again. And we asked the people who had recall seeing the videos. So again, 900 people who've seen these videos Again, the same questions exactly. And what we saw was only after three weeks, a dramatic shift in, you know, 80% now want to visit and, and buy Israeli products. Wow. And then from the, the favorability range, went down from 10% unfavorable to 4%. 
the people in the middle went down from 40% to 20%. And then you had 56% who were favorable and very favorable. Towards wow, Israel. it's unbelievable. Yeah. So what you're seeing is if you take the 56% and you take the 20%, sorry, 76, 76, that was the, the big change, right? So you take the 76 change. It's huge. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Very big. It's and unbelievable. Only three weeks, which is wow. so that's what I'm saying. You, you, the opportunities are there. I didn't need this research. I know it. I can see it. I, actually, every single person who experiences someone who's somehow connected to Israel in a positive way, their opinions transform dramatically about Israelis as a whole. And we've done research amongst business people, and we've seen that business people who like Israel because of business actually think Israel is managing the Israeli-Palestinian conflict much better than people who don't know Israel through business or don't know Israel at all. So you see that, that there's this kind of ripple effect. I see. Um, and, and that's, to me, that's the, you know, often I, I speak a lot to yeah. the American Jewish community who are really concerned about this. Um, and they keep on saying, well, there's no silver bullet, there's no silver bullet. And I disagree. I think there is a silver bullet. Wow. Every other country is using wow. it. Other countries who have controversial um, reputations, if we take countries like uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, we take China, China, China rebranded itself through, you know, the, the commercial brands and travel, right? You don't really think of China as you used to uh, because they were wise enough to invest in promoting. Yeah, you know, yesterday I, I, I saw DLD, they sent, China sent an expert yesterday for one day to speak on DLD in Hamburg or whatever, on what's happening in China right now. And he explained, uh, you know, what's happening with the zero, with yeah. the uh, zero, uh, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, tolerance, uh, COVID policy and what's going on with the, with the economic and why yeah, they, they got, you know. Uh, well, China's become parties. a really exciting, interesting country. And it doesn't mean that China isn't doing other things that, that people are Oh, they're are doing horrible things. They're doing horrible things, yeah. But it doesn't, but, but it, still, they don't seem to. And the same, for example, yeah. with uh, Saudi Arabia, they, the, yeah. the prince has something called Vision 2030, and he's changed the reputation of the country. And this is a country that didn't let women drive yeah. until a few years ago. Yeah. And yet young people are mad about it because they've hosted big sports competitions and because, you know, MBS is really cool and, and like talks about alternative energy. So this is the world of marketing and branding works for products. It works for people. It works for places. And the one place that needs it most, Israel, doesn't use it enough. There are efforts. No, no, no. This is, that mean, this is why, but this not is why enough. I, okay, so I, I know you have to leave because you said that you're busy. We haven't yet spoken about what you're doing. You think you will be willing to come for another time and we'll sure, only talk about absolutely. In very in a in a in a nutshell, what we're doing is we developed yeah. a strategy, we developed a work plan. We developed a, a, a brand book for Israel. It's actually, we have a website called unboxingisrael.com. So it's unboxing-israel.com. Oh, tell me about that. This yeah. is something and, and, uh, Basically, it's if you want to help tell Israel's story, especially on digital, yeah. then it's all these, it's a toolbox with resources, whether it's images, videos, wow. stories, anything like Lots of countries have it. We developed one for Israel. And under that, there's a section called Israel's Story. You can have a look there and see the, the story of Israel that we share with the world, especially young people. This is a story that is interesting to them and relevant to them. It's not talking about only being Jewish. It's not talking about living in a country where we're attacked by enemies, blah, blah, blah. That's not at all. We talk about the spirit of the country and why it's interesting and why it makes you feel alive. And so what we do is we, we harness the power of social media to share this story, especially to millennials and Gen Z. And we do it by bringing digital influencers to Israel, online campaigns. I would love to bring huge global events. Can you imagine if we had Coachella in Israel and South by Southwest and DLD is already in Israel because of uh, you know, Yossi Valdi. But that, yeah. that's exactly the, the idea. The idea is come discover Israel through brand, event brands that you love, sports events, culture, Car, you know, the magnet is not Israel to begin with. The magnet is what interests you that Israel has to offer. Food, business, all that kind of stuff. Once you get that connection, 
then people will either get to know us through digital or by coming here. They will recognize that we are a country that on the whole has Western values. We care for one another. We are deeply instilled with this notion of tikkun olam and caring for other people. We would not behave in the terrible ways that other people are saying that we would behave. I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. No country is perfect, but certainly that is not the, the, the spirit of the country. We are, you know, it's not for nothing that our army is called the Israel Defense Forces. We're not here to, to go and, and attack anyone. We're here to defend ourselves. Unfortunately, we're living in a rather complicated neighborhood and that's just a reality that we need to live in. But other than that, there are so many things that Israel has to offer. It really is uh, um, an incredible, uh, unique, inspiring country. Anybody who's come across it, and it's not always for everyone, but anybody who's come across it, you don't, you don't leave, um, you don't forget Israel, right? It stays you, with you. You change, yeah, I think, I think you change. Joanna, may I say, it was such a huge honor. You are a true leader. Thank you very much. And I cherish everything that you're doing. And I, I, you know, you were talking and I had, you know, goosebumps all over my body. That's and, what I had when I met uh, with Ido. So, so, so you, you carry the torch beautifully. So really Thank a you. true leader. Thank you again for everything you're doing for us. And I'm going to take you on this. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Promise that we can go next time. Of country yeah, what you're doing. Yeah, I know you have to go. So thank you again. Thank you very thank much, you. Yali. I really appreciate it. I appreciate what you want to do. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.